Hey, welcome back to the Lead with Influence show. My name is Jay Cabron, and today's interview wasn't even an idea uh, up to 24 hours of this recording. Um, as you may know, whether you're watching this recent or maybe you're watching this a year or two in the future, um, there's some devastation happening in the world right now in the Middle East with uh, atrocities happening in Israel, with Palestine, with uh, all of that. And there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of sadness, depression, um, worry, so many things, especially for people that are maybe directly impacted or indirectly. And I just had this burden on this my heart to bring some encouragement, bring some hope and strength to those leaders like yourself that are uh, looking to not let this weigh you down, but also to feel that emotion with these people. And as I wanted to create something, right away is when I thought of Pastor Mark. And Pastor Mark's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's, he's my pastor. He's someone that's really changed my life, not just because of uh, the knowledge he brings, but also the spiritual side to that. And I thought there would be no better person than to have a discussion to just bring some hope, to bring wisdom in this time, to bring encouragement, to bring understanding in some sense. And as we dive into this episode, I just want to make sure that you understand a few things that we are not here to answer all the questions. We are not here to talk politics. We are not here to bring news updates. That is not what this interview is about. This interview is to support who you are and where you are right now and to allow for you to take that step to be more of a leader in the way that you help others, to understand some of the situations going on and how to properly pray for Israel, pray for the Middle East, or pray for loved ones that are struggling. Uh, you're going to understand really how to overcome maybe any anxious feelings or anxiety that's, that's potentially crippling you. And we're going to dive deep into uh, biblical understanding of why there's war in the name of God. And this, that's a, it's a touchy topic, uh, but Pastor Mark wanted to share on that because I believe some of uh, some of us have held ourselves back from really leaning in because of certain situations like that. So this is going to be a, a profound interview. Um, I recommend just listening it with open ears, listening it in a way of no matter where your background is, there could be some golden nuggets you take out of this. And if you are a believer, if you are a man or woman of faith, then let this be an encouragement that you can go and live boldly. So without further ado, I'm so grateful and honored to introduce my good friend and pastor, Mark Francie. All right, Mark. We here. made it. We're here. Yes, sir. I appreciate you doing this. I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah, this was uh, not planned more than 24 hours ago mm -hmm. from recording this. I was working out in the gym and I just had this download where I knew I had to put something together to hopefully bring courage, strength, hope to people that are experiencing what's going on in this world right now. Absolutely. And then I just had this download from God. I was like, I need to do something with Mark. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk further in a bit because you, you made a video that uh, went pretty viral on the, the way that you just uh, stood so boldly in your, in your stance. And I believe that with your wisdom and, and with the anointing that you have on here, no matter if someone's a believer or not, I think this could bring a lot of comfort and I really appreciate you doing this and, and, and staying up late and waking up early to, to put some notes together to really answer some tough questions. Sure. I'm, I'm honored to do it, Jake. Awesome. I think, uh, it's going to be a good time today. Well, I appreciate that. Well, first uh, thing that I really just want to emphasize is you're a man of God, you're a pastor, uh, you're a family man to, to begin with. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to go into your full context of your story, but I know that uh, you've you've kind of came from the complete opposite growing up, right? Yeah. Like basically everything that is not godly. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I didn't really have any faith in God. Didn't have a relationship with Jesus until I turned 18. Yeah. So first 18 years, lived a different lifestyle than uh, probably the antithesis of being a pastor. So, yeah. so I just wanted to make that clear. And and for those that want to learn a story, you could go you could go find that. But you're here today because you've constantly pursued the truth and pursued how to help people. Mm -hmm. And right now in this time, I believe there's a lot of people, especially with these atrocities that are happening in Israel and the Middle East, 
uh, it's definitely heightened, um, is there's a lot of anxiousness. There's a lot of anxiety. There's people that are maybe not directly affected, but they are starting to go down that rabbit hole of the fear and the yeah. worry and uncertainty, and they're, they're falling off their path. Yeah. What can you say to someone right now that maybe is feeling that heightened anxiousness? What, what comfort, what words, what, what truth? Yeah. How would you speak to that? Well, obviously, we live in a broken world. I think that's obvious, regardless of what your religious pedigree point of view is. I think, um, you know, my newspaper keeps running into the Bible. And every day I'm like, man, this is looking more and more biblical. You know, you wake up most days like what chapter of Revelations are we, are we reading today in the news? Um, so we're living in a wild window of history, no doubt. Um, but I think, you know, the Bible talks about a lot about when you're dealing with anxiety, when you're, when you're anxious. You know, Paul writes the Philippians, he says to be anxious for nothing. Mm-hmm. But his solution, his remedy was by everything, but in everything, by prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he talks about how then the peace of God that transcends all of our understanding. Because there's things in life that, quite frankly, uh, even answers wouldn't bring us, you know, un, you know, we, we can't fully wrap our mind around why things happen, why there's a level of pain, uh, devastation, why terrible things happen in the universe. That it's, it's hard at times to have understanding, but he says there's such thing as a peace that actually transcends our understanding, that has the ability to guard our hearts and our minds uh, in Christ Jesus. So mm. uh, yeah, I think it's definitely a good hour to learn how to pray to say the least. Yeah. When you say supplication and thanksgiving, we hear that so many times, but maybe don't even understand what uh, supplication is or thanksgiving. Like, what does that actually mean? Uh, I think what Paul's talking about is just learning to bring the problems of your heart, your mind into the presence of God and just go, God, this really bothers me. This hurts me. This, Mm -hmm. this really is tarnishing my peace right now. I don't know what to do with it. Um, There's a lot of things outside of our ability to solve, to fix, um, I think in many ways, that's, that's the human condition. Um, there's things that are in our heart we don't know how to solve. There's things that we don't know what to deal with. Guilt, shame, grief. Uh, there's pain in our universe, in our life that at times we have, no, we have no solution for. And I think, quite frankly, that's why humanity needs a savior. Because if our greatest need was money, God would have sent us an economist. Or if our greatest need was entertainment, God would have sent us an entertainer. If God knew our greatest need was uh, you know, athleticism, God would have sent us an athlete. But because I think our our fallen condition, our greatest need as a human being was saving, God sent us a savior. Mm-hmm. And really you can break the Bible. And it's 1189 chapters in the Bible. It's broken into four sections. There's creation in the beginning of the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's the chosen people that we start reading about kind of from Genesis 12 on. And then there's there's the Christ. The Christ comes on the scene. There's a bunch of prophecies made about him in the Old Old, Old Testament that would be fulfilled in his 33 years of existence on the earth. He dies, he rises from the dead, and and it bursts the last segment of scripture, which is the era of the church. And Mm. so all of those 66 books in the Bible are boiled down to those those four areas, creation, the chosen people, the Christ, and then the church. And so I think most people read one segment of scripture and they have a hard time really analyzing the whole that God didn't just create one narrative that's one story there's 66 books 40 plus authors over 1600 years but it's telling one big story Mm. about how humanity is in need of a savior three chapters to lose the original mandate of god in the garden of eden when adam disobeys and the next 1186 chapters redeeming what adam lost and that's the narrative of the gospel. And that's why it's good news, because there was something lost in the beginning that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, redeemed for humanity. How do, how do people find good news in times like right now? Going through devastation, just loss, whether seeing your family or friends dying, let alone just seeing it happen afar. Like How do, how do people know that that's still good news? Well, I think good news when you're mourning is that there's someone out there that can comfort you. I think the good news when you're dealing with, with, with lack is there is a God that can take care of your needs. I think good news when you're dealing with sin and, and regret, guilt, um, is that there is a God that has the ability to forgive. You know, the Bible says that God is our very present help in time of need or time of trouble. We're living in troubled times, in hard times, 
And I think some people don't realize that you can find God at the top of life. But oftentimes it's when people are going through hardships, they realize, look, mm. there are things that my PhD, there's things that my my venture capitalist fund, there's things that I can't solve with money, stocks, crypto. I can't solve these things with my education. There are some things outside of my ability. You know, one scholar said the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the only one that has the ability to fix the human heart is the one that made the human heart. And so that's why a lot of, for me, I, I always, I know I'm a pastor, so it's my job, but I can pretty much tie most of what we deal with in the finite realm, as far as problems go, mm-hmm. back to the eternal realm of the God that made us. And I think that we want eternal hope in a finite world. And I think that people that live without that hope, they feel the weight and the mm-hmm. burden of hopelessness yeah. and lifelessness. And um, there's a desperation right now in the world looking for answers and I think sometimes it's right in front of us if we just open up our heart. That's so good. Appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. There's a lot of people I've seen, including myself, where in this time with the atrocities happening in the Middle East, um, they are not directly affected. Yep. But they know people that maybe are Jewish or maybe have friends or family that they are seeing what's going on. Yeah. And I know I've felt this where... I don't know how to fully support that friend yeah. because it's such a devastation that my friend is going through yeah. that it's like, I'm almost feeling like I can't even understand the pain and the struggle they're experiencing and saying, praying for you or thinking of you. Like it, it almost doesn't even feel like a, 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 it feels like a disservice in a sense because yeah. everyone's saying that. Well, just what words would you give to someone who maybe isn't directly affected by this, but want to support those who are like how would you encourage them to support them with real genuine yeah. uh, kind love in that sense well i think there's a difference between we say i'm praying for you and then actually praying for them mm-hmm. i think there's there's a, there's a broad gap between those two statements <laughs> there's a giant and chasm <laughs> yeah we, we've been there we've all been there hey i'm praying for you and you actually yeah. don't pray for yeah. them and i understand that that would be something that would be inadequate and probably far far lacking from what needs to be done. And is it doesn't feel like much of a contribution when you're saying, I'm praying for you, and you actually don't pray yeah. for them. But I would say for those of us in the world that actually believe in the power of prayer, that we we fundamentally believe that it's the mouth of men that move the hands of God. And there's something that happens when we pray that only happens when we pray. You know, the Bible even talks about praying for Jerusalem. You know, Psalms 122, verse 6 it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And it says, may they prosper who love you. So I think that there's there's something that happens when people begin to pray, specifically for Jerusalem, for Israel. God gave us a mandate to pray for them. And so I think we pray not only for Israel, not only do we pray for Jerusalem, we pray for obviously the Palestinians mm-hmm. that are just as much in many ways, like they're they're scared out of their mind right now from these, these terrorist organizations right now in their nation. So um, I think our job is to have empathy and to love. And we're praying, obviously, for Israel. You know, one of the reasons why we pray for Israel is God told us, you know, God told Abraham that he would bless those who bless him. Mm. And he would curse those that curse him. And that actually pertained to not only him, to Abrahamic covenant, to all of us that are connected. It says all those who believe are, are descendants of Abraham. So blessing the Jewish people and you're blessing the seed of Abraham. And we believe that that brings blessing on us. And when people go after, you know, this, this anti-Semitic spirit that's trying to, to, it's not even a battle over land. It's this, this worldview is like, they want to destroy the Jews. They don't want them to exist. And I think most people don't realize this, this war is so complex and it's so ancient, uh, but it's not about territory or geographical space on the earth. It's a spiritual battle. It's mm. light, darkness. It's it's hatred towards the, the descendants of Abraham, you know. And so I think our job is to pray, it's to empathize, it's to love, it's to care. And um, I think that when we say, I'm praying for you and we actually pray for you, that you're actually giving somebody a gift that maybe is greater than, than anything we can give them monetarily. Mm. Can you expand more on that with the spiritual side? Maybe someone that doesn't fully understand that, just giving a context of, when people say there's spiritual warfare happening, what does that mean? Yeah, well, this kind of goes back to worldviews. So again, my worldview is that there is a God in heaven that made man. 
really you can boil down all worldviews into, you know, there's different, different variations, but you can pretty much boil life down to two ideas. Either God, Jesus Christ, made humanity, and because he made us, we live according to his set system, his principle, his guidance, his directives. Or we, as human beings, we created man, or we created God, excuse me. And if, if man created God, then man has the ability to make the rules on what's in and what's out. I prescribe to the first that God created humanity, that it was in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Most people don't realize the first 10 words of the Bible, if you can wrap your head around the first 10 verses of the Bible, uh, first 10 words of the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, those first 10 words, if you can, if you can wrap your head around that, Everything else in the next 66 books, they're pretty easy to, to, to resolve. In the beginning, God created man. So there's no explanation. There's no what was God doing before he created the heavens and the earth. We don't know what the beginning was. God lives outside of time and space. So I prescribe to a God that created us in his image. In his image, he created us. The Bible talks about a fallen angel by the name of Lucifer. He was somehow maybe an archangel in heaven, led worship in heaven, wanted what belonged to God. And when he tried to prescribe the praise that belonged to God to himself, there's a recorded fall in scripture. Mm -hmm. Jesus, Jesus also, he, he doubles down and he cites the fall of Lucifer. He said, I saw him fall like lightning. It says that one third of the stars, which were referring to angels, fell with Lucifer in the beginning. Mm. So when the fall of humanity happened, uh, excuse me, fall of, of Lucifer happened, he, took, he takes one third of the angels, which is good news. Not because God needs a majority power, but because for every one demon there is, there's still there's still two more angels. So for every one demon, there's two angels. Wow. And so that's just kind of a cool thought by itself. Not that God needs any extra help, because yeah. God by himself takes everyone out. But we know that there is a real enemy that hates us. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give life, and I came to give it more abundantly. And so I think... Um, out of the gate, realizing that there are real forces in our world. There is light. There is darkness. There is good. There is evil. And I don't think you have to be religious to acknowledge that there's good and there is evil. And I think in many ways, you're building a case for creation when you say there is evil in the world. That these, these barbarians right now, Hamas in, in, the, in Israel, that are taking the heads off of newborn babies. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you believe in life. We can agree on this, that that's evil. And if we feel evil fundamentally in our being, we are obviously not a byproduct of some sort of cosmic accident happenstance that we evolved into some sort of conscious state. If we were animals, animals don't feel evil. They don't feel good and bad. They don't feel remorse and shame. If we feel and we can agree that there are there is evil in the world, we also have to agree that there's good in the world. To, to acknowledge evil is to acknowledge there are, if there's a wrong way, there's obviously a right way. And historically, throughout, throughout history, bravery, honor, loyalty, courage, these have always been validated as good character mm -hmm. traits. In history, murder, genocide, rape, these have all been characterized as evil. So why is it, regardless of knowing God or not knowing God, why is humanity always validated that there's an operation system in, inside of us intrinsically as a species that says someone designed us to feel what's good, someone designed us to feel what's bad. And I think in many ways, so Romans talks about in chapter one, that in all of creation, God is seen, God is known. And so I think in some ways to say, well, there's good and there's evil, you're acknowledging that someone wired us. Mm -hmm. We're not happenstance. We're not cosmic glue, accidental atoms. God made us with an operation system that acknowledges both light and darkness. Wow. That's just, that's profound. The way you describe that and uh, the, every, every one demon, there's two angels. Mm. I know, like you said, it doesn't matter. Um, God is, God doesn't even need that, that ratio to be, Sure. who he is, but for those that are maybe experiencing uh, some strongholds right now or feeling the, the, the oppression in that sense, especially on the spiritual side, to just have the comfort to know that there is that ratio at least. Absolutely. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing on that. Um, 
you know, going into this context, you're talking about this good versus evil. And this is not just related to what we're seeing right now in Israel uh, and the Middle East, but just overall in general. I feel like there's there's people, and I've heard this myself, I've I've thought this myself, is you know, it's 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 hard to understand like why this this Bible is talking about war and in the name of God and and you know people are getting hung up on that and that's I've I've seen friends that just don't want to subscribe to um, the truth that's what's in here because of like something like that yeah. and I, I don't expect you to have all the answers right now I don't expect you to give us a two-hour masterclass on this because I'm sure there's many levels deep but is there any like just specific insight on that that just can maybe help people not stumble so much on that idea that there's war um, done in the Bible and if he's a loving God uh, yeah. yeah I think uh, going back to that idea you know God created us and he makes the rules and we didn't create God and we don't, we don't direct our play. God's the one that's the, he's the orchestrator of all things. Right. And so we know that through creation, through the chosen people, there's the fall of humanity. You have the Christ that comes on the scene that saves. Um, this is what I would say. Any religion that gives you an excuse to hate people, I wouldn't prescribe to it. I believe that God is love. He's the author of life. He's the author of peace. What I know is this about God. If you study actually in depth, even in the Old Testament, and you're dealing with some of the hardest scriptures to wrap your head around, you're talking about genocide and wars. And these are some of the hardest topics to navigate around. Really a minefield when you think about it. But we know that there's a broader story being told from, from Genesis to Revelations. And this is what we know. Even when, we, when like, let's, let's look at the conquest of Joshua for instance, you know, God makes a promise to Abraham. He says in 400 plus years, your descendants are going to go in and they're going to actually, they're going to become slaves, but I'm actually going to get them out of bondage and they're going to go in and they're going to inherit this land, the land that's being fought over right now. And he makes a promise to this guy named Abraham. The promise comes to fulfillment through a guy named Joshua. Joshua is the sidekick of a guy named Moses. Everyone knows Moses, 10 commandments, Charleston Heston, right? We know Moses. But Joshua goes into this land. He battles seven different nations. There's all types of wars that go on. But what's interesting, when you read Genesis, I think it's actually found in Genesis, I think I wrote it down somewhere, Genesis 15, 16. It talks about this verse. It says, the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. It hasn't reached its full measure. And what we know is there's a story about the children of Israel going into the promised land. And the first battle they have is, is in this fortified, crazy big city named Jericho. Jericho has massive walls. People live inside of the walls. It's like an apartment complex inside of the walls of this city. And there's a prostitute that lives there by the name of Rahab. Rahab hides spies. Long story, but you can read about it on your own time. You can find the story in Joshua chapter 6 that God sends them in. But it's interesting because... You know, we read the story sometimes. And if you went to Sunday school church growing up, you hear the story about a, a basically a, a, a army marching around the city for seven days. There's a promise made to a prostitute that if you hang a red cord outside of your window of your, ho of your apartment, that everyone that's inside of that window will be saved. And I think that this is it's important to mention. You know, Leviticus 18 talks about some of the sins of the Amorites. Some of the most wicked, most abominable practices, sacrificing their children, uh, rape, you know, just crazy, dark, pagan practices. In the modern world, we have a hard time wrapping our mind around what they did. But actually, God says in Leviticus 18 that the, the land would vomit them out because there's something, I think, that when there's sin that enters a land, mm. it actually begins to make the land toxic. And so God says, I'm going to give them a measure of time to actually turn to me. I think God is a God that is always quick to forgive. He is a God that's quick to have compassion. He's very long suffering. It means mm. that God is willing to suffer for a long period of time because of his great love. Mm. And so we know even when it, when it came time, we start reading the conquest of Joshua. God gave these people 400 years to turn from him, to turn to him. When when they crossed over, this is a long, long thought, but basically yeah. when they crossed over the river, Rahab the prostitute goes, our whole area, we all know geographically, this whole nation, they know how God delivered you from Pharaoh. 
We heard about how God opened up the Red Sea. You went through on dry ground. We know that your God is God. Mm. And so Rahab validates that there's a knowledge of God that these people just choose to not want to deal with. They didn't want to turn to him. They wanted to hold on to their pagan practices. They wanted to hold on to their dark lifestyles. They wanted to live in that darkness and celebrate it. It says they they chose darkness over the light. Rahab had a different perspective. She goes, no, your God is God. So I'm going to hide your spies. But when you guys come here and take over this city, have mercy on me and my family. There was a promise made that was beyond Rahab. The promise was this, any window that has a scarlet red cord hanging out of it will be saved. I believe that God is so merciful that when he walked around Jericho, it wasn't a it wasn't an intimidation tactic to go, hey, we're going to kill you guys in a few days. I believe it was a grace parade. Mm-hmm. I believe it was seven days of mercy that they walked around seven days in a row and that they would have they would have hung scarlet scarlet cords out of every single window, God would have spared the entire city. So I think we serve a God that's rich in mercy, that his desire isn't to annihilate people groups. His mercy, his, his mercy isn't looking to judge the world. God found a reason to love the world. God found a reason to save the world. God sent, sent the, the fact that it was Jesus Christ that actually came on the scene to actually spare humanity. So that is the message of scripture is that God is a saver. He's a He's a, he's a savior. He's a prince of peace, not the author of war. Yeah. And so I think sin turns humanity inside out. And God loves humanity, but he doesn't love the sin. And a righteous God has to deal with the sins of humanity. And that's why he sent his son. Mm. And what I find so powerful about that story is the story of Rahab. And, you know, with her being a prostitute, especially in that time, yeah. For God to use her in that way yeah. to save those those few, but let alone be an opportunity to, to potentially save the whole city. Yeah. I think that hits deep for people that maybe feel like her. Maybe they aren't they're not in the position like who what she was, but they feel like they're an outcast or they're they're not worthy of being loved because they're not the perfect you know, Christian that grew up. Like, can you just can you add a little bit more into that for someone that maybe feels like they're kind of like that outcast and they're not able to be used by God, but it's evident through Rahab it's possible. Yeah, I think that that's the good news of of who Jesus is, is Jesus could choose to use anyone. And often I thought about this years ago. I thought, you know what we all have in common is none of us selected our family. None of us chose who our mom and dads are. None of us chose where we were born. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that the only one in all of history that had the power to choose his family was Jesus. And I thought for me personally, because I have a sense of humor, I'm like, God, I want Bill Gates checking account. I want my parents to have Brad Pitt's looks. I want, you know, I want someone that's a model physically and someone that's wealthy materially to be my parents. But Jesus doesn't choose a lineage like this. He actually allows Rahab to be in his family tree. Mm. So this woman wasn't just spared. She actually ends up becoming the great, great, great grandmother of King David. David's dad was Jesse. Jesse's dad, uh, I can't remember Jesse's dad. And then and then there was, uh, I have to look at the lineage, but Boaz is the grandson of, of Rahab. And so somehow maybe move with the story of faith of his, of his grandparents, um, we see that Boaz selects Ruth to be his wife. So mm. Jesus is the only one in all of history that chose his family. And you read the lineage, kind of the, the begots of the Bible, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so. Jesus selected his family, and he put people that were failures. He put immoral people. I mean, the fact that out of all of Israel's sons, 12 sons, he probably should have chose Benjamin. He probably should have chose Joseph, but he selects Judah. Judah was a liar. Judah hired a prostitute, ended up being his daughter-in-law. Judah was a pretty crooked man, and God chooses to use Judah's lineage to be the one that Jesus would be born through. So I think the narrative of Scripture is God takes imperfect people that are broken, that he actually goes, you know what, you're a zero, but I'm number one. Mm -hmm. And when you put one next to zero, you become a ten. I think that God makes us tens when we put him first in our life. I just just want to let that sit for a second. I think I believe that that really resonated with someone that's listening right now. 
maybe a few people. And I appreciate you for even just talking on this discussion about the, the difficulties of the Bible, yeah. because most don't. And, and there's people that try to only stay in their own little corner, which is okay. Sure. But you have lived so boldly and you've also put the work in to hopefully bring just some insight. And I think you really brought a good point uh, for you listening right now is that even if we had all the answers, sometimes it won't still make sense. Sure. That the facts won't make us any different to understand this big scheme that is outside of the natural realm. Yeah. Right? We're talking about a supernatural being in this sense. And I just want to, uh, I, I appreciate you and acknowledge you for that because it's not easy to talk about that, but it's worth it. Sure. And you were, you were discussing on prayer mm-hmm. and the idea of that. I found just recently what prayer actually means and, and how to actually feel that activation and, and pray for people. But my whole life before that, I didn't know what prayer is. Yeah. So can you just, for, for the listener, can you just give a, a general understanding of how to pray and, and just the idea of like how prayer is so powerful, like to pray for someone across the ocean, you yeah. know, that's going through their life, life almost being gone. Like, how does that prayer actually affect them? Yeah, it's a great question, Jake. I think, um, I think prayer is probably the most underrated things that a human being can be a part of in life. The idea that God, who made everything, that knows everything, would actually allow us to, to talk to him. And not only to converse with him, but really to enlist his power into the situations and circumstances of our world. Um, You know, in Luke chapter 11, his disciples, the disciples of Jesus, they only have, you know, when I was a kid, probably like everybody else, we've all had that fantasy of rubbing a a golden lamp, having a genie come out. And uh, obviously, wish number one is wishing for more wishes, right? Um, But there's only one, there's only two times in scripture that God says, what do you want? Once was with Solomon when he's a young kid, and he says, I want wisdom so I can lead your people well. And mm-hmm. God says, because you asked for the right thing, the, the good thing, I'll give you what you didn't ask for. And so there's Solomon. And in the New, in the new Covenant, Luke chapter 11, we have the disciples, and they ask Jesus a question. They say, Lord, would you please teach us not how to get influence, not how to get wealth, not how to live a long life, not how to be successful. They said, Lord, would you please teach us how to pray? I think this is significant because these are men that saw Jesus tell the ocean to shut up and it listened. These are guys that saw Jesus open up blind eyes, deaf ears, raise dead bodies. So yeah, I, I think sometimes we under, under, underestimate this passage that they could have asked, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead. Teach us how to take authority over nature. Teach us how to open up blind eyes. But they didn't ask for any of those things. They said, Lord, would you please teach us how to pray. And I think that it, therein lies a secret, a, a, a really a mystery that's un, un, unrevealed, revealed that there's something when we understand prayer that gives us access to everything that we want in life, everything that we need in life. You know, there's a great guy named Louis Giglio in America. And he has this famous phrase. He says, if we saw what happened when we prayed, we would never stop praying. Mm. You know, Ian Bounds is one of the great authors on the subject of prayer. He's written lots of books on prayer. And he says, when I cease to pray, coincidences cease to exist. There is something about when we pray that I think touches the heart of God and begins to set things into motion that ordinarily might not be in motion. I believe that everything that we need in life often is given to us because of God's goodness. But I believe there are promises that God has for our destiny many of which would never be accessed unless we petition or unless we contend in prayer for those things. You know, the promised land, he said, I'm going to give you the land. But that didn't mean there wasn't a fight. That didn't mean there wasn't battles. And I think that that's still true today, that God has a great calling and a destiny. God doesn't make accidents. Mm-hmm. Maybe your mom and dad weren't planning on having you, but God was. Maybe you're, maybe you, you're like, I don't know if I have a purpose for my life. No, God does not make mistakes. If you're alive, you're watching this video, there is a plan for your life. Mm. And if there's a plan for your life, that means that we access what God wants us to access through talking to God, 
You know, I always, I often say, no one greater understands the Honda than Honda. No one understands Toyota more than Toyota. And so when someone creates a vehicle, they understand how to maintain it. They understand how to keep it running well. And they understand how to get the most out of that car for life. Mm -hmm. And I think there is an owner's manual to life called the Bible. It was made by the God that made humanity. Well, how could that be true? Uh, I think logically, I would appeal to those that are logical if there was a God. Don't you think that he would make ready an, a resource that everyone on the earth would have access to? Yes. Well, reminder, the first book translated into multiple languages, first book mass produced on the printing press, the first book to be the, the number one bestseller since, since we've had a bestsellers list. So much so that New York Times no longer documents the Bible as the bestseller because the vast, the vast difference between the next book and the Bible this is the most distributed, published, mass-produced book in history. And a book that was written in three languages, a book that has authors that were prisoners and kings, uh, a, a book that's, that, that's documented from the Middle East and started in lonely Arabia and was finished on the island of Patmos by a guy named John in the book of Revelations. This, this book, I believe, is the manual to life. And I think that the way we access God is by reading it and then by talking to God about it. And I think prayer is a conversation between man, and it's pouring out our hearts. It says to cast your cares on God, for he cares for you. It says to bring our burdens to God. It says to be anxious about nothing, but in everything to pray. And so I think that one of our greatest opportunities as human beings is to have conversations in this temporal life with the God that lives outside of time and space, that holds the world in his hands, that has the answers to our problems before yeah. they arise. And I think that when you could go through life, as crazy as life is, as hard as life is sometimes, bringing God into our conversations. God, what do you want to do today? Yeah. God, is this the woman I'm supposed to marry? God, is this the job you want me to stay in? God, is this the plan you have for my future? And I believe that when we pray, we begin to see the hand of God direct our steps. Man. If someone wants to pray for Israel, or let alone any other instance, but in Israel in specific, and they don't know how to pray over that land, over the Palestinians, over the Middle East. Yeah. Um, they live in America. They live across the nation. Yeah. Is there just is there any examples or just ways to create a quote unquote effective prayer so they feel like they're making the most out of what they do for that prayer? Yeah. I, I would answer, you know, I don't think there's a, a one-size-fits-all. Just like when you talk to your dad or your mom, there's not one conversation that you have with them every day that you repeat every single day. I think there's templates of prayer. There's the Lord's Prayer. There's all these different prayers, tabernacle prayer. But I think, all, all, honestly, when we, when we, when I tell my mom, hey, one of my best friends at school just lost his, his parent. When I tell my mom that, I talk to my mom and I go, man, I feel so bad for my friend. His mom just passed away. Mm -hmm. I just, man, my heart hurts for him, for his brother. When I'm talking to my mom or my dad about pain, there's no right way or there's no wrong way mm. to discuss it. I think even so, when we talk to God about the pain of the Middle East, you know, some of my good friends here in Orange County are Palestinian Christians. They love Jesus multiple generations have gone through hardships and difficulties. And so I, I can I can pray for them as a nation. I pray for, for Palestine, of all the good people right now that are scared to death at these terrorists that are leading, which is interesting. You know, Genesis chapter 6, the first time we see Hamas, it's actually a Hebrew word that means violence. Mm. Before God floods the earth in I think it's Genesis 6, uh, Genesis 6, I think I wrote it down, Genesis 6, 11, the earth was also corrupt before God and all the earth was filled with violence. That word violence is the Hebrew word Hamas. And I don't think it's coincidental that these people Jeez. are corrupt. It means injustice. It means to hurt. It means it means violence. And so um, I think there's, there is a travesty happening right now that is going on that God alone is the solution to. And so I think when we pray, we say, Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as it talks about in Psalms chapter 122. And I think that, you know, Psalms 125 says, Lord, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, 
so the Lord surrounds his people Mm -hmm. from this time forth and forevermore. So I think that what my wife and I have been praying is, Lord, we ask you that you would bring peace. You're not the author of confusion. You're the Prince of Peace. So I've been praying the peace of God over the Middle East. There are some complex issues beyond my pay grade, but I know that they're not beyond God's pay grade. I know that God is the... God is God is the only one that can untangle the human soul. And he's the only one that has the remedies for life's problems. And so when we pray, we pray peace, we pray comfort. And the Bible says in Romans, I think it's Romans chapter uh, 13, uh, chapter 12, that we rejoice with those that rejoice and we're supposed to weep with those that weep. Mm. And I think that's one of the ways that we pray. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. A few more questions and then we'll be wrapping up. And, and you know, I just want to take a pause here for for you that's listening right now. I just, my, my prayer, my hope is that you really let these words sit in. You let this assurance of wherever you come from, whatever background or belief, the assurance of there is strength, there's hope. And if there really is this thing of good versus evil, then it's time to be on the side of doing what's good and and to it's so evident to see the the evil that's happening right but sometimes i I, and i'm the first to say it's myself we struggle to see the the evil that we do day to day Mm -hmm. and if we want to change what's afar then we got to change from what's in within first and that's that's something that i take personal responsibility as i hear this that it's so easy to project you're good versus this evil you see over there. But what about the the evil of just anything that is not of holiness, not of of biblical scripture, you know? And that's I, I believe that's something we daily trip on. Is is that correct? Just the idea of sin itself. Like how do Mark? I would ask this to you. How does someone that maybe wants to work on that 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 struggle within maybe what do you call it, evil sin? Um, you know, just a fallen nature. How does someone not only not feel shame about that because they're experiencing it every day, but how do they overcome that? Yeah, I, I think for me, my answer is um, the only one that knows how to fix me is the one that made me. And so I think including him in the daily decisions of my life and going, God, you know, I'm tired of this habitual problem in my life. I'm tired of going around this mountain over and over again every day. I'm asking you, the Bible talks about in Jeremiah that that if we seek him, if we seek him with all of our heart, that he'll be we'll be found by him. And Acts chapter two, it talks about that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I think God is more interested in knowing you than you are in knowing him. Mm. And long before I was proud to call God my father, he was proud to call me his son. And I want to just maybe emphasize that God's better at restoring our lives than we are at screwing them up. And nothing that anyone has done to you is greater than what God does to you. And I think that God can heal you better than you have been damaged. And so uh, including God and just saying, Lord, I know that my dad struggled with this. My grandpa struggled with this. I've been struggling with this. Or maybe it's something that just is recent in your life. And I feel, I feel empty. I feel hopeless. God, if you're out there, I could tell you so many stories of people that they came to know Jesus because they just said, God, if you are real, show me. If there is a God out there, prove it to me. I came to faith that way. I was 18. I got, I got suckered into going to a church camp I didn't want to be at. I saw these people singing terrible songs that were just terribly boring and awful. And uh, just a bunch of fast songs in D minor. And I'm like, dear God, if, if, this, if this is real and if you are real, prove it to me. And I can tell you there's a lot of people in the world today that would be willing to die for their faith in Jesus Christ because they had an encounter because of one bold prayer. Mm-hmm. God, if you're out there, God, if you care, God, if you love me, would you reveal yourself to me? And I think God answers those prayers. You know, I have friends that lived in Iraq, Iran that many of them, because I mean, a lot of these people, they would get killed for their faith, lose their, lose their life, livelihoods. One of my friends was a celebrity. He was in movies there in the Middle East. 
And he said that he had this God encounter and many people in his family had it very similar that he had a dream with the man in the white, the white robe. And that's what they call him. They call Jesus Christ, the man in the white robe, because he visited many of his family and friends in a dream. And he said, I am Jesus Christ. And these people that would lose their life, lose their family, be excommunicated if they believed in Jesus Christ, they were willing to do that. And logically, it would make no sense. Why would you give up everything? He was rich there, ends up moving to the States with, with hardly anything, clothes on his back, lost his life because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So I think that when we pursue God, he'll, we'll be found. He'll, he'll be found by us. Um, you know, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So I would say today, maybe the first step is just praying a simple prayer. God, if you're out there, God, if you care, God, if you're listening, show me who you are. And I think that if you'll be bold enough to pray that prayer, God will be good enough to answer it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. As we wrap up this this interview, which just it's one that I'm going to have to listen back multiple times because of the depth on this. Um, I just want to briefly bring up this idea of how bold you've been as a pastor, as a man of God, uh, as a leader, as an entrepreneur himself. And there was a video that went that went viral uh, recently, a few days ago, when all this was occurring over in the Middle East. And it was saying that you support Israel and and, and obviously you're praying for them and you're praying for Palestine. And I, I think it just shook a lot of people because there's this stigma that pastors, especially Christian pastors, like they don't support anyone else besides Christians. And I've seen that firsthand. Um, I, I know before uh, I really knew who Jesus was or even, you know, God himself. Like I knew that there was that stigma myself. But I just want to acknowledge that you are bold in that. And, you know, we don't have to go in, in deep context on this, but I would love for you to touch up on that type of boldness because there are leaders that listen to this that are still a little afraid to speak up um, and to, 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 to be aligned in whether it's congruence with their faith, their, their, their mission. So I'd love for you to touch up on that and also just wanna add into that too. You guys are donating and leading resources and funds directly to Israel from the church, yeah. which is powerful. And so many people are one, either wanting to support, but they don't know where to put the money because yeah. they don't know where it's going sure. or two, they don't know that if it's even going to affect people directly in that place. And you yeah. guys have a direct um, connection over there. So can you just talk a little bit about the boldness and then also just a little bit about what you're doing to help Israel as we wrap up here? Yeah, um, really good. Um, I think I think one, um, I think it's easy to be bold when you realize that evil is evil. And I think that you don't have to be pro-Israel or anti-Israel to, to realize beheading babies and attacking civilians is cowardly, it's, it's wicked, it's evil. And I think Hamas, what they did to, regardless of whatever nation it would have been in, would have been wrong. I think that humanity agrees that hurting babies and innocent people, killing, raping women, this is barbaric, it's, it's, it's diabolical, it's satanic, sadistic, and it's wrong. And so, that was, uh, that was easy to be able to pray, God. Um, we pray that you would just, again, defend these innocent, defend the people, bring about justice for those that have lost loved ones, bring people home that have been abducted. Um, so I think that's easy to be bold in that regard. When it pertains to praying for Israel, you know, the Bible instructs us as believers to pray for Israel. Psalms 122, it says to pray for the peace of Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And it says, may they prosper who love you. And so the Bible actually promises a blessing. You know, we're the seed of Abraham. Ab Abraham made a, was made a promise by God, Genesis chapter 12. God said, I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you and your descendants. So we have found historically, you, you read your history book, every nation that has attacked Israel, every nation that has wished Israel evil has had bad things happen to them. The opposite has been true. I think America is living proof that those that have blessed Israel, those that have defended Israel, have been blessed themselves. I think in many ways you, you, you correlate even some of these people that are a part of these terrorist organizations are going first Israel, then America. 
And I think that there is actually a, a, a favor on our nation because of the way that we have supported Israel. So that's not a geopolitical topic. That is a, that's a biblical worldview that our mandate is to pray for the peace and the blessing of God. Jesus was a Jew. Abraham was the first Gentile to become a Jew. Abraham has a lot of ink in the Bible. You know, I think out of the 50 chapters uh, of Genesis, it covers over 2,000 years. One third of Genesis talks about the life of Abraham. Mm. Abraham is the father of all those who believe. So the Jewish nation was God's, it was God's idea. God goes, I'm going to raise a people group up to show my covenantal love to that would basically at one point inspire the world to want that same type of love. And so I think our mandate is to pray for Israel. It's to pray for the peace of Israel. And I think, again, these are not mutually exclusive that because I'm pro-Israel, that means that we hate everybody else. Mm -hmm. I think that we are against the Hamas. We, we, don't, we don't endorse terrorism. We don't endorse sadistic murdering of innocent people. But again, I have friends that, some of my best friends are Palestinian Christians. So I think that to say one is, I think in America, we don't have the landscape lens of that if you're for this, you must be against mm. this. I think mm. it's not it's it's not the case. I think that's like, uh, a, not a, it's not an equal parallel that we're pro-Israel, but we're also, we're for the peace of all of the Middle East. And we want to see God bring about a good resolve there. Mm. And if someone wants to support Israel and, and trust where they can send it. I know you guys have a fund that you're currently doing. Can you just briefly describe like what, what that is, where that's going, yeah. and how people would be able to support that? Yeah, I appreciate you wanting to do that. Um, yeah. Obviously, we didn't we, we didn't talk about that. Um, yeah, no, that was that this. was that was my idea, and you know we're we're directly putting our, our own funds into that as well because I want to support outside of prayer. Sure. Um, and I don't know how to besides bringing that prayer and comfort to my friends and my sure. my people. But I, I know, like I know those that are listening right now are probably in a similar position where they sure. want to do something. Sure. They're not going to fly over there or do that, but they want to yeah. support. Absolutely. Um, and I just love that you guys have actual like a, a, a direct connection or you have something going on that the money would go to that or yeah. support. Can you just... Yeah, well, we, we felt led as a church, as a community, to, to give to Israel. And we've been supporting a ministry that's on the ground there. They actually, it's called King of Kings. They actually are a, a Christian ministry that actually loves, loves the Jews and the Gentiles. They start churches. They pastor people. And I was able to actually kind of talk uh, to the leader of that movement. So we actually took an offering on Sunday. We sent $25,000. Sunday night. And oh so we were super excited. He sent me an email the next day, just super grateful of what we were able to do for them. And he just talked about how so many in their church, uh, they've been, their, their kids have been dispatched in the military to fight. Yeah. Um, there's been families that have been dislodged and they're actually even sending resources to some of these families that have lost loved ones. Um, whether it's sending food, military, you know, uh, or aid with, through the military. So we're just honored to be able to go, Hey, we know as a church, if there was an attack on Orange County, our church would be distributing resources, funds, helping people. And this, this ministry is all over Israel. And so we knew that if we can get it to them, that they would distribute it as, as there's needs yeah. in, their, in their nation. So we were honored to do that. But yeah, if someone wants to be part of that, if you go to oceanschurch.com, uh, go to our giving tab, and there's a tab that says Israel. We're just sowing all those yeah. resources. 100% goes to that. 100% yeah. goes to that, yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, about twenty five thousand. We already gave twenty five thousand. Yeah. Oh my god! So and there's more still coming in this week. Yeah. So we'll continue to sow. I mean, just a month ago, our church raised one hundred and thirty five thousand dollars for Maui, and we were able which to which is build. My, my hometown, which really hits yeah. really hits home. Yeah. So we're all about. I think that you know, some of the greatest philanthropy in the world. You know, this no one has built more schools, more hospitals, more orphanages than the Christian than the Christian Church. And so uh, a lot of times we love the values of Christianity without yeah. acknowledging the God of it. And yeah. so uh, I'm grateful what we're able to be well, part I'm, of. I'm grateful you're doing that. And, mm. and I just want to make this very clear. This was this was my idea mm. because this, this whole thing was my idea from 24 hours ago, right? Yeah. And yeah. you're here showing up, pouring into people. And I just knew that because I have so many people to ask, well, how do I support? What do you recommend? Mm. 
if you want to support sure. and you want to be part of this, the links will be below. You could share that 100% goes to Israel. Absolutely. There's a tab that specifically has that. Um, I, I just, I really appreciate you doing that because if not, people don't do anything because they need clear, decisive action Absolutely. on that. And so, you know, I just want to acknowledge you here. We're going to wrap up with a prayer, which I think would be so profound. Uh, but Mark, Pastor Mark, I call you Mark first because I see you as a friend sure. first. And I really do acknowledge that. I thank you for this. Absolutely. For you to not be afraid to step in front of this camera, put on the mic 24 hours from the moment I texted you, probably less than 24 hours when I texted you. I, was, I think it was like 12 hours. And to bring such wisdom and competence and love and emotion to questions that are not easy. And there's a lot of sensitivity right now for all the things that are happening, rightfully so. But for you to step into that and to allow this to happen, um, that speaks more than what you've said this entire episode. I appreciate it. It speaks about your character. It speaks about who you are as a man, as a leader. And I just encourage for you listening right now, if you don't follow this man or the movement he's created, which we'll have to set up a whole nother episode to talk about your story and all that if you're open to that uh, but the movement with oceans church I, I encourage you to just listen to one of his sermons go on youtube type ocean oceans church find them on instagram what's the best way that they could find you and the the church on instagram yeah just at oceans church i think it's yeah. our uh, our church handle and then my name is just mark francie yeah yeah go find him because my life has changed because of what this church is doing and the message that god is bringing through him Emily's life has changed. Our marriage, basically, with soon-to-be marriage, is going to be changed because of what they're doing. And so I just want to really pour into you as a listener and let you know that this man is, is someone that I hold very near and dear in my circle and in my, my family and my, my, my relationships and my partnerships. And so I thank you and I honor you on that. And as we close here, um, I think it would be so... So powerful for even if, if someone's never prayed before or they don't pray in the way that we do. I, I, I would encourage you to stay here for just one more minute and just be part of this prayer and to receive it. Maybe play it through your head as Pastor Mark shares this, but to just even just hold that space for what we're about to pray for. But um, Mark, could you just pray for the, the listener right now? Yeah. And then also just over Israel and the Middle East as we close. Absolutely, let's do it. Jesus, we just come to you this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever someone's watching this. And we thank you that you live outside of time. We believe that right now, God, that you are still today, as it was 2,000 years ago, the hope of the world. So right now, I pray for those that are listening, those that are watching. I pray that if they've never encountered you, they've never heard your voice, never known you, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of opening up. You said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And I believe, Lord, if we'll open up the door, that you'll come into our lives. So I ask right now for those that are maybe skeptical, those that maybe got burned by religion, organized religion, maybe those that have never been around a, a church before, uh, or, or a, a lively church, I should say, that God, today would be a day that you would encounter them in a real way. We pray today that not only would people come to you this week, that even through this interview, that God, they would take a step towards you. Maybe pray a bold prayer like this, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. I pray, Jesus, that you'd answer every one of those prayers. And while we're praying, we lift up Israel. We lift up the Middle East right now. We pray for the peace right now of Israel. We pray for the peace right now of Jerusalem. We ask that, God, you would de-escalate this war. We pray that, God, you would shut down, God, every one of these enemies of Israel and even the enemies of Palestine. We pray that, God, you take the head off the snake in Jesus' name. And that, God, today would be a day at the beginning of peace. We pray this wouldn't ramp up and get worse. We pray that this would de-escalate and that, Father, you'd bring about a good resolve. Comfort the families that are mourning. God, help those that are dealing with just unexplainable, unimaginable grief. And I just pray that, God, you would be our very present help in time of trouble. Lord, we love you today. We thank you that we have the honor of knowing you, serving you, and living our lives for you. In Jesus' name, bless Jake, bless Emily as well, all they're doing to bring your light to the world. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Pastor Mark, thank you for this interview. My honor. Thanks for having me.